Hej, gillar ni Nyhamrad? Ge gärna 5 krona, 10 krona, 15 krona på vår Patreon. Det visar att ni finns och lyssnar och stöttar oss. Vi kan även gå med i Discorden och prata med oss allihop. Vi är ett gäng där om alla spel som finns. Vi ses. Hello everybody and welcome to the first English episode of Nyhamrad, uh, I guess it's called Reforge now. Uh, and in this very special episode we have Sean Shutter, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I say Sutter, but um, Sutter. I guess it's an, an Americanized version of Sutter, so uh, <laughs> or something. Uh, you know, I European descent, but I've been in America forever, so... Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Uh, uh, you are more known for, I think, Relic Blade, which is a like uh, adventure type uh, tab- tabletop game. Yeah, that's right. Relic Blade is um, sort of like if you were had two players controlling two separate uh, parties of Dungeons and Dragons adventurers. Yeah, and it's like a sword and sorcery hack and slash adventure game with, and it's very scenario driven. So. Uh, you're always trying to do uh, whatever encounter or or mission and challenged by opponents. It's it's very very cool. I've been doing that for I guess six or seven years now that it's 2022. I started in 2015 full time making games and uh, and Relic Blade is my own creation. I started with a little bit of freelance, but then I realized that I really wanted to be making my own thing, and so. Uh, through Kickstarter, that's way more possible than in the past. So, I just uh, sculpted what? the models and wrote the rules and did the illustrations, and uh, and it's been going strong ever since. So it got Kickstarted uh, like a mm-hmm. done product. Yeah, I uh, I did my first Kickstarter in 2016, um, and I've done five Kickstarters since then. Or all together, and and for various expansions as the game keeps growing, and I add new types of heroes or new campaigns, new settings. Um, and at this point, the game has, I think, eight core factions. Wow. And yeah, and so there's a lot to play with, a lot to explore, and and it's sort of like, uh, you know, in Lord of the Rings, there's two really kind of two sides. Yeah. Um, for there's the bad guys and the good guys. So, so in that same way, you can create a adventuring party with any good characters working yep. together, or any evil characters working together. So you can play faction specific, um, like to use Lord of the Rings terms. You could just play, uh, you know, wood elves. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the Fellowship. You know, there's one wood elf and there's one mountain dwarf and one wizard and some um, 
garden people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, in, in Relic Blade, there's all kinds of fantasy tropes, but they're also um, adjusted just a little bit off what you'd expect um, based on my imagination. So uh, there aren't orcs, but there are pigmen that are a little <laughs> bo- more like yeah, yeah. Uh, Turtle-style mutants, so there are a lot of animal hybrid mutant characters. Uh, yeah, it's all just sort of related to my background in comics and my love for toys and cartoons and Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer and everything, all filtered into my own art style and uh, world. It's very yeah. fun. I've I've looked at Relic Blade. I, I haven't played it at all, but like I've, mm. I've seen it on the website. When I when I looked for Sludge, I found Relic Blade, and like, <laughs> what well, what is this? And uh, it looked really fun, and especially if you like use your 3D printed models and stuff like uh, together with the cards. But maybe it's more rules bound than I think. Yeah. Do you have to use? Uh, yeah, it's it's um. You know, I'm I'm happy for people to play any way they want, but I also I you know I print the cards and I yeah, or you know I produce it all as a as a like box sets and products and I produce the miniatures. So I don't have digital like uh, 3D printable versions of the characters. Yeah, um, but you know, with shipping to Europe has become so difficult. I don't need to tell you or your listeners that, um, <laughs> and so. I'm looking more at like rather than maybe rather than having all the same characters that I have worked hard to produce, yeah, but maybe have like a different range that is for digital production so that more people can access it. Cause really like I make the art because I, I love it and mm. I want to share it with people. And that's one thing I love about making miniatures is I only, I only imagine the world and tell you some about it and i only sculpt the figures and characters but it's not finished until someone paints it and gets it on the table and then the way their campaigns unfold and what happens to their characters yeah uh, that's when the art is finally finished so i always think of it as a collaboration and i'm always very excited to see the fruit of my art turn into um you know, the finished product, which is the painted models on a table, um, people enjoying it and playing it with their kids or playing it with their friends. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, I would like to make it more accessible through digital, but also the piracy is an issue. So Mm. maybe if I have stuff that is, you know, specifically designed for people to be able to download, then I wouldn't feel as bad about when it gets stolen. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. It's uh... It's clear that it is a labor of love, and it's uh, mm. like everything you do. It seems uh, really passionate, and uh, yeah, super happy to have you here to listen to you <laughs> talk about some sludge, also. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah uh, but... so I'm I'm happy to to jump into talking about sludge because it's more of a it's more of a traditional war game in a way, but yeah. also also very. Um, you know, it's it's connected to my uh, the style that I write games in, and the the fact that I love skirmish games. So you play with bigger armies than with Relic Blade, where you have four to six models per side, and you yeah. play on a two by two sludge. You use you know whole. You know, I hate to call it a whole army 
because it depends <laughs> on what your background is. Like yep. if you play historical games, then you know two or three hundred models on the table would be a normal game. Yeah, yeah. But if you normally play uh, Saga, then thirty models would be what you play. So it's more like Saga scale. So mm. to a historical war gamer, it's a skirmish game, and to someone who normally plays uh, more time or Frostgrave, then it'd be an army game. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like it all depends yeah. on your perspective. Kind of like Middle um, Earth, oh, yeah, I think, in the scale, like how many models. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, 40, 50 figures um, per side. And the games last about 45 minutes or an hour because I, I really like to have yeah. decisive rules and like uh, very tactical oriented. So rather than being more of a strategy game, it's more of a tactics game in that it's what you do in the moment that will decide the who's victorious rather yeah. than rather than like a grand scheme of like of of strategy uh you know yeah uh, but before we get into uh, mm -hmm. more specific rules uh, we, i want to hear a little bit about you uh oh yeah i'm so, happy to all right so so my name is Sean Sutter yeah. i am an independent artist uh i have my own game studio called metal king studio i do all of the game design and sculpture and art um sometimes i am fortunate and able to hire other artists so just for fun to try and get you know new life breathed into the world with different styles and whatever with art but, uh, for the most part i do everything myself um i I graduated with my degree in fine art in 2012 or 2013, I think. Yeah, probably 2012. And yep. then uh, and then I did freelance work in comic books. So you can kind of see and my art style is very influenced by my like stylized comic book background. Yeah, more so in Relic and, Blade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then... Uh, and then I realized that, you know, working in creative fields, you are going to be working hard. Like, you've yeah. got to hustle, you've got to advocate for yourself, you've got to have your own revenue streams. Like, people can't, people won't just hire you and pay you well. What they want to do is hire you and not to do you. something. <laughs> and they want to be able to, they want to be able to take what you make and then make way more than they paid you out of it you know that's just the nature of yeah hiring someone to do something like so kind of reflect i i thought like long term i'll make more money if i am if i own my own art and if i'm going to be making art i want to be making exactly what i love so even though i love comic books mm. my my if i look around my studio it's mostly miniatures like you know tons of warhammer armies war machine armies all kinds of yeah. figures and so looking at myself more critically i was like oh i just love miniatures the internet is big enough the world is big enough that i can just be making models and we'll see what happens so i taught myself how to do sculpture because my degree was in like illustration and painting so i taught myself 3d i really loved it and then i was able to take all of my like passions for creating stuff and blend it into actually just making miniatures and so i've been doing that 
professionally for like six years. You do it in uh, all all in three D, like in the computer, not uh, any hand yeah, sculpting. Yeah, I, I use ZBrush for my sculpture. Mm. Um, I used to do art uh, all traditional, like with um, acrylic paints or watercolors and pencils. But um, now things have gotten so much more. Uh, advanced in, in like how you can draw on the computer. So I've gotten yeah. tablets and now uh, almost all my work is digital now. Yeah. My yeah. drawing because yeah. I, because I can now make it look, uh, have yeah. that like handmade traditional look with yeah. the different te techniques and brushes. So I'm very, I really like that. And then it also works well because everything is when it's finally produced, things get are, are digitized anyways. So I was, I would have to scan my drawings. Mm drawings to put them in book layouts right yeah, so yeah. now that it's all digital it, it um, comes out cleaner and comes out more how i envision it so yeah i'm do digital now yeah um, but, but what is um, what is your background in miniatures and like war games and how did you get into well, this in the first place i started i started with my earliest exposure was through like Dungeons and Dragons and going to the store where they had like role playing books. Yeah. And I played a lot of Rifts. I played Rifts more than D&D actually. Um but then going into the store as a little kid, I saw the little um I think the one that really caught my eye was the orcs, space orcs with like checker marks painted on them. <laughs> yeah. And then like the space marine tanks that had like little flags the land raiders or yeah the the one like with the sticker flags the old old like i don't know what edition uh, old, third edition uh, old predators maybe i don't know yeah so like those those really caught my eye and then seeing seeing like warmaster figurines and all that stuff just this dusty old game store you know game stores when they're just like dungeons <laughs> um and so seeing that stuff really like blew my mind because I've I love toys and then seeing like really detailed, really amazing miniatures got yeah. my got my imagination pumping. So that was when I was younger. But then um, it wasn't until I was like 13 or so that I had was able to get enough money together to actually buy a Warhammer box set. And I what I first got was the um, Warhammer Sixth Edition box set that had orcs and empire and yeah. uh that blew my mind got that going <laughs> i played a little bit of 40k and then um but probably the game i got on the table the most was more time so even though i mm. played warhammer fantasy and i played warhammer 40k and i'd collect armies and paint and play um the, it was more time that I really was able to like play campaigns and and build war bands and enjoy that. So, so I, I am not surprised to hear it. Yeah. Like, if I would guess, uh, your fantasy game would be more time maker. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's so then uh, later on, I got into War Machine. Uh, really enjoyed that the way the rule set is. You know, second edition War Machine is what I played, uh, and the rules were really, really dynamic and in-depth and like what models did was very exciting compared to like move, shoot, mm. assault, yeah. you know, like, like, you know, Warhammer 
bless its heart, it is not as um, not as like interconnected on the table. So, so like the the board state just didn't speak to me as much. So playing War Machine really opened my eyes to game designs, and then um, and then of course later when Joe McCullough released Frostgrave, that was uh, really blew my mind because I had been playing Dungeons and Dragons and playing War Machine and wanting and and like I had a couple drafts written of my rules. I had like ideas for how I wanted activations to work and mm-hmm. how, like what type of game I would want to play because none of the games that I played were really exactly what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. And and so then reading Joe's book Crossgrave it just sort of dawned on me like oh there's really nothing stopping you from writing a game yeah but, <laughs> and so that you know that helped me um get more momentum in, on on actually finishing and creating relic blade and so that when i sat down with my old drafts of different notes i had i was able to like organize my thoughts and get relic blade together and put that out and you know since then now i'm part of a um blaster magazine which is where sludge is published yeah and that's a a a partnership or or what's like an artist collective collaboration project maybe anthology anthology where uh, i'm working with joe mccullough and ash barker um that that is uh mini war gaming yeah he does gorilla uh, gorilla gorilla miniature games on youtube Uh, Joe McCullough obviously wrote Frostgrave and a bunch of other games, including Oathmark and Silver Bayonet and uh, Oh, he wrote Silver Bayonet as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's he's very prolific. He's always writing. Mm. Um, And then Mike Hutchinson is part of the the collaboration. He wrote Gaslands. Mm. And um, Joey McGuire wrote this is not a test and reality's edge and then there's myself i wrote relic blade and so we're all working together and making um i didn't miss anyone right joe joey ash <laughs> Mike. Uh, that's me. not uh, small yeah. names uh, your name oh no, yeah here. so it's very it's very cool and then so working with those guys uh and they've got all these games under their belts and i just I'd wanted to write a larger battle game because mm-hmm. Relic Blade is very focused on recreating like the Dungeons and Dragons like a uh, uh, dangerous encounter where you've got very you know tactical movement, tactical yeah. choices, and you aren't limited to like move and shoot, but rather you've got a lot of different types of interactions the characters can do to make choices about how they're gonna how they're gonna behave and how they're gonna act in the in the combat in these tactical games so uh those games are smaller uh uh, skirmishes between heroes and so i really wanted to make a battle game yeah Um, and so working with those guys i felt like oh well again there's nothing stopping me and we're we're publishing uh, right now, it's it's two volumes a year yeah. of Blaster. And so I was like, well, whatever. I, I have the game in my imagination, so I'm going to start making uh, Sludge. And 
you know, inspired by how, how Saga, you know, they've got Saga miniatures and, and stuff. They really allow people to play kind of a historical fantasy. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, Vikings are sort of historical, but also they have like special powers related to Norse mythology or, um, All right, yeah. you know, Crusaders have like special powers. And so in that way, I wanted to push it even farther into the realm of like, we, they aren't even based on Vikings. We're, we're just full on going to use historical miniatures and, yeah. and, and make a historical fantasy setting. Um, so drawing on inspiration from heavy metal music uh, anime like Hayao Miyazaki's uh, Castle in the Sky. And, yeah, uh, yeah, a uh, little bit of steampunk. Uh, yeah, yeah, like steampunk, but like pre-steam, like black powder <laughs> punk, powder punk, I guess. Um, historical fantasy, like, uh, yeah. I just wanted like guns and knights, yeah. you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Want, I want knights to be really powerful with like magic weapons, and I want uh, peasants to be armed with guns and be running around. So, who does? So yeah, diving into that, I I started creating this world where, um, where there's there's magic, and people get their magic by mining the the core wood out of the world tree. Yggdrasil. And the world yeah. the world tree is like um, rather than a tree that grows out of the earth the world tree is more like the nervous system of the planet. Okay. And so as they mine and dig deep and cut out parts of the world tree to, for, to do like kind of an industrial revolution, um, it, it ended up destroying the planet and the planet broke apart. And now uh, the core of the world being this like massive supernatural tree uh, various tracts of land and plains and continents are now suspended, broken apart in the um, in the roots and tangles of the branchways of the world tree. So, in that way, I created a setting that's like Castle in the Sky, in that there are uh, nations floating up in the sky and flying <laughs> ships that are powered by magic. Yeah. But also, it's like a metaphor for how you know, fossil fuels could really mess up the planet, you yeah. know, yeah, and in yeah. that way, magic abusing and like continuing to use magic in that way also broke apart the world. And so um, the surviving nations are after this like world shattering apocalypse and they're very grim. Um, you know, the oceans are now suspended in storms, basically. So it's always foggy always rainy always dark um are the oceans yeah. in between the plains then like the oceans i think i think that the oceans there may be portions of the the world that have larger bodies of water yeah. but for the most part it's like floating islands that have massive storms that move through all right and so they get their like water distributed by uh, <laughs> Arms, which also creates a lot of mud and a lot of decay and things slosh away. Uh, but you know, there there are people, there are nations, there are you know people surviving for hundreds of years in these like nation states throughout. And um, so 
it's sort of yeah like black powder era technologically yeah yeah with with sorcery and enchanters so there are the knights have heavy armor that's enchanted and heavy weapons that are enchanted and uh and so the noble classes of knights are extremely powerful yeah and then um against that there's you know more typical troops like line infantry armed with muskets and uh you know dragoons or heavy cavalry units yeah then there's also you can for some nations that don't have access to black powder then they're able to use the magical enchantments to make more traditional weapons more powerful like halberds or or pole arms and spears and swords and things like that so in a way it's like it gives me an opportunity to balance the playing field and let people create armies that they that really appeal to them to yeah, be yeah. more more medieval or more modern um like- and and the idea is that people can create their own armies and then as as the games developed i also have been starting to release sculpts and and figures so i just released the first full army that i sculpted for sludge yeah um, yeah, yeah. And- i saw it it was amazingly painted as well yeah thanks yeah it's it's very cool and i'm able to explore you know it's obvious that it's inspired by human cultures and history but also very uh fantasy so it it's fun for me to be able to take a lot of influences yeah and, and blend them into a a unique but recognizable vision you can do whatever you want uh, like yes yeah, exactly. because the, the version we got right now is from the blaster number two which is kind of mm. I, I guess your first draft at this game uh, and it's kind of these are the rules do whatever you want do whatever models you want yeah yeah but uh, yeah, it's a, yeah 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 blaster volume three has the core rules and and the core unit types so uh, everyone has access to the same types of of units whether they're line infantry or uh skirmishers or knights and and things and then uh in the next volume that should be like i think we finished we finally finished all of the design like yesterday okay and awesome so so i expect it to come out in the next couple of weeks we just have to get um drive through rpg to print a copy and make sure that you know yeah there aren't errors in the in the way it exported and then it'll be good but yeah in the next volume uh that's when i'm gonna release the factions where there are going to be four different nations and things get a little more uh specific in those in those yeah awesome to hear like uh i i've kept a lid uh, on it uh but uh uh, when, when i tried the beta rules as as they were then Mm-hmm. Um, with the different factions, it's been super, super fun, and it it really fledged out the game for for me and, and my group. Uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It um it comes to life in an interesting way because there's something about universal troop types where you're like, okay, yeah, it's a war game. This is cool. Yeah, and like I can play it. But when there are factions that there's something about the play style that comes through with the special units. Like particularly the mm. cult factions with the way they deal with stress mm. and and they've got like these demonic giants and uh, uh, you know 
or the, all the different play styles that are introduced, it comes to life in the way you would want for a miniature game where you can, you know, where it's a different experience to play a different army. Yeah, but but also the the theme uh, around it, like you get more lore. Like listening listening mm. to you talk about the, the lore now, has been uh, like listening to the Silmarillion uh, audiobook. Like, <laughs> give, yeah. I, I just want to hear more about it. Like it's uh, yeah. it it really helps to like make a cool knight themed army or make a yeah yeah absolutely and and that's there's always this this balance I. Uh, there's a lot going on inside my head that, <laughs> that I can't get it all out at once. Yeah. And so one, probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned as an independent creator is to just try to relax a little bit and do things one step at a time. And so I would love to have written Sludge, have a big hardcover book, you know, a full range of miniatures. Yeah. In terrain everything out when i first launch it yeah but but as one person it makes sense i can write the core rules release it in blaster i can get feedback mm. um i can do expansions like you know we've got faction rules now but obviously it'd be cool to have campaign rules it'd be cool to have skirmish rules you know all of the things you'd find in a big rule book I just have to do one step at a time. And yeah, like, super ambitious. Yeah, so even releasing this one army, it's amazing. Yeah, I sculpted 42 unique miniatures. Yeah, yeah. And, that's and not a small feat. Yeah, but then one army isn't a war game. <laughs> so I need, you know, I'm only at halfway to the minimum of two armies to fight each other. Although Keth is... Um, is in a state of civil war, so it, you definitely can build multiple types of armies out of it, including all the diff, four different types of factions that are released in this next set. You to, could use to, the the, the, the miniatures that you made now. Uh, well, what kind of scale are they in? Because uh, like people can use whatever models they want so far. Yeah. But what scale are the ones you have done? They're they're twenty eight millimeter. And they're more close to um, contemporary Perry miniatures, uh, yeah. so they're they're smaller, of course, than Warhammer. Yeah, and uh, and their weapons and heads and hands are smaller compared to old Warhammer models, mm. and they're much smaller than the new like thirty-two and forty millimeter uh, figures that they make these days. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, but they fit really nicely with against uh, historical figures like uh, from like Perry or yeah. uh, War Games Atlantic or um, you know the Oathmark miniatures. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah but but um, my next question here will be when uh, when I first found out about Sludge and like wanted to try it, and I found it really hard to get Warhammer players to try anything other. Than, than Warhammer. Uh, yeah, it's the story of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's super hard. But uh, when I looked at the historical range of miniatures, I was like, holy shit. Like, how mm. many different companies are there that makes these kind of figures? So Yeah, so many. And like some really wonderful kits. Uh, like, because if, if, you, if you love the like old-fashioned plastic kits that yeah. like you can really 
Kitbash very well. Um, Fireforge Games makes amazing plastics. Yeah. That you can, and a lot of them are are really meticulously designed so that they go across multiple kits. Uh, same with the like uh, Oathmark figures. I think is it Northstar that produces them? I forget what company actually Northstar makes them, but so uh, uh, yeah, so, but. But yeah, like the Frostgrave kits, the Stargrave kits, you know, all of those are really that like uh, two, early 2000s uh, Warhammer golden age of being able to like glue arms on guys. So, yeah, yeah. And that, <laughs> awesome. you know, of course, my, my figures, I made one part mm. so that they cast in one piece. So because I, I, you know, converting models is a very... Very amazing. I've seen some beautiful, beautiful things. Um, and assembling models is a, an important part of the hobby for yep. some people. Yep. But I've never, that's never been my favorite part. Uh, I, I really prefer painting and playing, uh, gluing them together. Yeah, me, and so, me too. So, especially with this, where there's going to be a lot of figures, I, I tried to make them all one piece so that you can get to the part that I really like where. You can glue them to the base and then uh, start playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you want to convert, like, cut them up. It's not harder than that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah. So, uh, yeah. How has the on. how has uh, the tabletop community like reacted to Sludge? How what's uh, what's the, what's the outreach? It's because of because the blaster format is sort of new for people. Mm. Uh, you know, anthologies aren't a new thing. The, you know, H.P. Lovecraft and uh, Robert E. Howard were publishing their books in anthologies before they made any collected volumes. Yeah. Um, so, or, or, you know, horror movies, you can get like really unique, wacky, scary movies by just doing a bunch of shorts all as one thing. Yeah, yeah. There's so many great examples of anthologies, but in the war games realm mm. there are rule sets and then there are magazines that will have like articles mm. but but the games anthology i think people have had a little bit it's a little bit for people to like wrap their mind around it because they don't want to you know they know what to expect from a magazine and they mm. know what to expect from a rule book so an anthology is a little bit uh, new for some people, so the adoption yeah, yeah. has been a little bit confusing for some folks. But overall, I think the reaction has been really good, and it's a neat way for uh, us to share, introduce our communities to each other. You know, like um, people who really love Gaslands yeah, will yeah. very will very much enjoy the settings for uh, This Is Not a Test or Last Day's Zombie Apocalypse, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but they, it isn't necessarily, like, something they were exposed to because we're all creating things on such an independent scale that, um, that yeah, you can get stuff. Osprey is, is big compared to what I'm doing, but in the grand scheme of, of things, you know, those could still be easily considered independent games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, it's the adoption has been really exciting as people are getting it on the table and playing. Um 
and starting to learn about like what makes the rule set unique because sludge has a very specific and dynamic flavor to it yeah for sure where, i looked at the where the... psychology is dealt with uh gore a gore mechanic so as as units fight and take wounds they drop uh gore on the battlefield and then that physical area becomes like a stressful area <laughs> for any humans to be around yeah it's the worst and so as they as they overcome their disorder you can remove gore from the battlefield and it doesn't really represent actually people picking up the severed limbs and gore doesn't even necessarily represent exactly guys bleeding on the ground but it it does represent like all of the chaotic energy and danger and heightened stress of the battlefield yeah being being like represented in a in a visual way and then also it makes it very crazy because it's a, such a spectacle of a game where you've got lines of infantry moving across the battlefield flanking each other uh opening fire you know big explosions all kinds of craziness and then late game you'll have units that have been victorious and are sled you know advancing but there will still be piles of scattered gore and uh, ruin across the battlefield so yeah, yeah in yeah. a way like late late game in warhammer somehow looked tidier than the outside <laughs> of the game whereas um when you're playing sludge it looks like there was a terrible battle yeah yeah like if you compare warhammer game of uh, age of sigma or in the end like you will have a small hero like at the corner mm-hmm. of the table mm-hmm. to survive but by, yeah. by the end of the sludge you have like 45 25 millimeter bases with the gore on them like it looks like a massacre yeah yeah, it's so uh, it's very exciting. Like it, it really, uh, it it it's fun, a spectacle. I think. Like, yeah, for I was sure. playing, I was playing it with Malev, um, Malev Dashinobi. The he paints miniatures and he raps. And hopefully, um, everyone that's listening to this podcast will go and immediately listen to his music. M A L E V. Yeah, and we can link it. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And uh, anyways, he was over and we were playing it. And, you know, he had been part of the development of Sludge. Like we hang out and talk about game ideas all the time. Mm. And he's like one of my main creative collaborators. Mm. And uh, and then once, so he knew about what the game was like. But then it was that moment about halfway through his first game where he was like, man, this game is crazy to look at. Like this is a- <laughs> spectacle though it's a whole like story unfolding because you can you see you remember and see where the big battles where the big decisive moments were because it's like there's a big cluster of gore over on the right and you remember that's where you sent your knights and then they got flanked and then you know so there's a an interesting like the scars of the battle are written into the yeah, I can recommend going into the Gorilla YouTube channel and look at Ash playing it because like, I, I had to look at it a few times before mm-hmm. figuring out what's going on. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I only seen him read books before uh, for hours and hours. But oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, man who reads books. Yeah, uh, has been a lifesaver in the Warhammer community. <laughs> but uh, yeah, watching him play Sludge was really good to get your hype up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
yeah so that's that's exciting so i'm yeah i'm very i'm very happy with the sludge rules and uh and i see so many opportunities for it to go from uh being a, a game that's very rich to be played with uh historical figures in more of a like serious historical setting you know that's still like that horror uh genre with the gore and the craziness mm. Um, but then also being able to push more into a full fantasy like Lord of the Rings battle um, where you've got orcs and humans and and a very grim fantasy and then more in the like sludge uh, universe where there, you've got the world tree and the uh, unique factions that are brewing in my mind. So I see like a whole spectrum of potential rules and factions so that I could write yeah. uh, as we the game so i'm very very happy with it i i really enjoy it i i um i recently got on alex's patreon um alex huntley of warp miniatures mm-hmm. as a patreon where he just he'll make fantasy figures and just release the stls just whatever he wants yeah uh, it's so but his style is very unique and like cartoony and fun and <laughs> and uh, so I I grabbed a bunch of his 3D printable models and made a sludge army that's all dwarves like yeah, yeah. Uh, dark mm-hmm. dwarves sort of influenced by chaos dwarves but they aren't chaos dwarves. Yeah, I I know uh, which can, one people you mean. can check them out. But yeah, I made a sludge army out of them. You know, I've made sludge armies out of with high elves. I've made sludge armies with Napoleonic French or Napoleonic uh, Russians. I, yeah, I I very. It's a fun way to be able to make these. Yeah, it's the most creative uh, tabletop game I've played yet. Oh, that's that's cool. That's great to hear. And ev- everyone I talk with has been like super excited just to make an army. Uh, it's a uh... yeah. It can be a challenge because uh, getting people on board to play new games is always hard. Yeah. Um, but getting people on board to play a game where there aren't really, a, there isn't like a clear example of what to do can be hard. But then as you see uh, what other people are doing, you can start to really find exactly what you're excited about. Because you could just as easily make a Viking army or a samurai army or even some kind of, you know, a kobold army, whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. A like fishman army. To get but, uh, miniature yeah, painters on. to like get excited to make an army, that's not super hard. You can... <laughs> Mm-hmm. like everyone yeah, has yeah. Uh, the thing that they want to do like now they yeah. have the perfect game to like go wacky with it yeah yeah definitely so that's been really fun but uh, it feels like you answered my my upcoming question which what uh, what game design are you particularly happy with mm-hmm. uh, like i think it is the gore technique the gore yeah i think it's it's the gore and also the way models activate and the way they interact with stress. I'm, I think it's, it's very neat. I think I can, um, maybe you talk to me about this, but there's a, there's a little bit of a disconnect in the way the math works. Mm, yeah. The target brain. number. Yeah. Cause the target number, you number, you kind of like add and subtract and that's not tidy. Um, but I yeah. realized that if, if I have people take the power of the weapon yeah. and just and just subtract that from the defense of the opponent, it's the same math. 
and then it makes it much easier to know what your target number is. So like for damage, mm -hmm. and then the target number for hitting guys, you know, you've got your bonuses and, and stuff. So I think in, in the final, like the, the final trying to make sure it's as approachable as possible is going to have more, I think, to do with how I explain what's happening than like changing the method. So yeah, there's like, I love it so much and I think it works really well, but I also want to make sure that it, people aren't like fumbling through trying to do math while they're playing. Cause I want people to feel like they're making quick tactical decisions. So in this, but, will it be in the next uh, version of uh, blaster or even further future? Rules? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that it's just as simple as uh, writing a paragraph about how people can think about it or should yeah, think about an it. An example. But, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, I don't have, I didn't write that in the next one. I want to kind of play test cause I have a couple of other like little tidying things that I'd be interested in exploring, but as it stands, I'm really, really pleased with the rules and, um, yeah. and the way, yeah, the way you're able to have these very decisive and dramatic battles where like every activation is quick to resolve, but very decisive and very uh, impactful to the game. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, unlike any other game in, in that way, like in which order you want to do things. Like if I activate this one and use his ability to buff my knights. So on my next activation, my knights can go and do a super duper thing. Mm -hmm. But if I, if I buff hit them, uh, I can get flanked and my yeah. knights are fucked. But if I if I go with my knights now, they're too far away to be buffed later. Like everything is, you have to think about what you're doing really, really hard compared to like Warhammer, which you can do mm -hmm. everything in your hero phase and then everything in your movement phase. And you know, yeah, yeah, you've got to you've got to make those quick choices of about like, yeah, when when is it? When's the right time to strike? And like, when yeah. you Keep the initiative in your in your uh, favor if if you take the time to reposition or cast your spells or whatever. Yeah. So it's very it's dynamic in that way. And I want I want to put pressure on people as they're making choices that the choices shouldn't take your turn won't doesn't last very long. You're able to make the choice quick, but it's an important choice, you know. Yeah. So there are definitely moments where I've played games where I'm like really have to look at it and figure out like what choice, what action, what order I can give to my troops to really get out of a bad situation. And that, that can last a while as I'm trying to humming and hawing about, <laughs> oh, I need to do this. But, but in general, it's very quick back and forth as the game uh, it has alternating activations like chess where you, yeah, know, you yeah. move one and your opponent moves a piece. Like, um, before we but go you on, have to move you move e each unit only activates once so you have to be really mindful about how how you're gonna do it so it's it's fun it's very exciting um i love it yeah i love it so too. i think i'm most proud of the overall package of the size of the armies is very appealing to me mm. the you know um the gameplay is very appealing to me. The style that's developing with the uh, figures I'm releasing, I'm very happy with. 
yeah, yeah. so it's, it's a really neat project that I've been putting a ton of my creative energy into, uh, unfortunately, to the detriment of Relic Blade development. <laughs> but, um, you know, I can only do so much as, as one goal. Yeah, uh, uh, but your, your future plans for Sludge, uh, in the, like if you see yeah. it in the up, upcoming year, what are yeah. we to expect? I all right. I expect my next big push. Well, there there's uh, Blaster Volume Four, which is has the Sludge Nations supplement in it, and that is that's a really major development for the world of Sludge. Like you've seen previews and the. Um, the draft of like the lore and yeah and all of that and and also the units so there's there's so much added there uh that that's a really big development um and then the next phase i think is also going to be sculpting a lot of miniatures i expect to be spending a lot of time just like making very very fun figurines yeah um which you know for the uh my EU audience is a little less exciting because it's so hard to get those figures shipped overseas. But, can, can you somehow you know, uh, hire anyone in Europe to produce them as well? I, I have a friend in the United Kingdom that is going to hold some inventory, but I'll need to find someone in uh, in the EU that, that can manage it. Um, I ha- am working with Black Sight Studio to produce the sludge kits. Yeah. Um, that way, because with Relic Blade, like each time I get an order, I hand pack it in my garage and send it to people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so managing multiple ranges of miniatures would be too much for me, I think. So I'm partnering with them. Yeah, that sounds really Now smart. that also means mm-hmm. that like there are things that my, I, I don't have control over, you know. So mm-hmm. as far as how we do EU distribution that's on uh, black site to figure out so mm. so hopefully i know it's something that's present in their minds because you know anytime anytime we make something it's it's one of the first things we think of is how we're going to actually get it to people yeah but, so but yeah and then f- future development i also like i was saying hinting at before the um, a high fantasy setting also really appeals to me where you can, you know, I love elves and dwarves and orcs and stuff. So uh, some kind of good uh, rule set or expansion or, or mm. mod. Yeah, yeah. I would love to produce so that people can get on the table. Cause in a lot of ways, um, the armies of the armies of sludge are based on, real traditional you know napoleonic force organization you know with with uh dragoons or line infantry and jaegers and things like that yeah but uh but it's also has a a warhammer fantasy empire kind of feel to it yeah so if if the core units are very much like warhammer fantasy empire like how fun would it be to also just write profiles for you know high elves and dwarves and orcs? Like it's not that big of a stretch. No, no. To get that going, you know. And then uh, the big thing is like 
the rules for monsters, creating customization. I've got like, you know, documents all full of notes and imaginations. And, and the more I see, uh, the more I get excited about it. You you already introduced a kind of fantasy element with the new a few some of the new factions. Yeah. May I speak about it or? Uh, yeah, because this episode will come out only. You know, I don't know what, exactly how quick it'll release, but people who are listening will only be days away from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, one of the factions has a giant, like enslaved yes. giant, uh-huh. which is uh, also rules wise. Uh, crazy mountain of a <laughs> yeah very interesting because it's like it's it's a really strong single guy yeah which has its costs and benefits because like a unit of knights may cost similar points wise mm. but they they die different they get stressed differently they fight differently yeah um, and so then a giant is like really interesting creature to be causing havoc on the battlefield and eating people uh you're also introducing uh, abilities for knights so they get kind of like a vampire like blood knights like vampire yes knights. yeah like vampires yeah so we already got vampires and we got giants uh, uh, yeah that's true and then there's you know there's also tanks and airships and rockets and yeah, yeah mortars and all all kinds of like uh I want to uh, talk about the vehicles because yeah, yeah. Uh, the vehicles is uh, it feels like it's a hard thing to nail down in a miniatures game. Like you mm-hmm. know, Warhammer has done it differently time and time again. Like, can a tank be hurt by a sword? Yes or no? And right. like, what's your take on it? How do you want a vehicle to work? Well, I I tend to I don't want rules bloat. You know, I want to be able to explain the core mechanics to you and then have you be able to play. Yeah. So, uh, so I didn't want to jump into too much of a um, what, what's the word for it? Uh, simulation of an actual vehicle. So the vehicles in Sludge now they work pretty much like a a single large figure moving around. So yeah, in my imagination of the Sludge universe an enchanted sword can cut open the side of the tank. <laughs> yeah, you know, so easily. That's, that's easy. sort of where I'm going. <laughs> so, uh, so that's sort of where I'm at with it in my um, lore justification. Because, you know, a musket, an re- actual lead musket ball is not going to pierce a deal tank. But what about an enchanted musket ball? And who says it's lead? What if it you know What's like magic? what kind of they're on it and like anyways <laughs> so so that's kind of a key question of, of technology in the sludge universe is like you don't know how much of it is um, how is the tank uh, driven what, what fuel or is it magic yeah it, it's arcane so it is but it's also advanced with uh, or mixed with uh, um, machine technology yeah. so, so the it, it's in lore it's crewed by both an enchanter and a machinist yeah, all right so, like a yeah, so it requires a, very, requires a very specialized crew to be able to operate these like 
I love I love uh, I love how you don't you don't want to say that it's driven by steam like no way <laughs> it's it can be arcane instead yeah 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 I don't know why why would I care whether it's steam or not I you yeah I just hate steam it, it, it may be steam but it burns harder and hotter and more dangerous than what coal would produce yeah magic steam so, yeah, magic steam. Like, yeah, it's coal, but it's the coal is made out of a um, magic material of the world tree rather than uh, compressed carbon. The coal is made of magic, the darkness bone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. Uh, but we have uh, a, a few more listener questions. Uh, if, if, if we can move forward or did we miss anything? Yeah, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so when you're creating a physical miniature, uh, which you are, and you're not only selling it as an SDL, uh, how, how hard is it to like go from your mind to a physical product? I think, all right. So there's, there's multiple parts. I, I tend to be a bit, a lot, a little long winded when I talk about stuff. So <laughs> bear with me. But uh, for me, when I was doing 2D art and like illustration or drawing in my imagination, I can kind of I can visualize what I'm trying to draw and then I'm trying to translate it to a 2D mm. form. Mm. Uh, and because like a face is three dimensional and then how you draw a nose, for example, if you've ever tried to draw a nose, it, it will look weird if you don't get the lines just in the right area and yeah it's a pain so when i was learning 3d it was actually very very freeing and very comfortable because you don't have to translate from one la visual language to another because mm. my imagination is 3d yeah, yeah. so when i when i make the thing in zbrush i'm just transcribing what i'm imagining rather than translating to another language of 2d so it's it's very natural for me to create 3D things. It's very fun and free and um and it as I've become more and more comfortable with the medium of working with ZBrush, I've been able to sculpt relatively quickly. Um I tend to be uh, fast and loose with my artwork. Mm. So love it or hate it, that's uh, that's my style. <laughs> Not overly like, refined, not overly rendered, but very expressive. Very atmospheric. Uh, yeah, so so that's my my way. When I'm sculpting, though, I always have to keep in mind the production because, uh, it, you know, I I'm limited. If I'm going to make a mold and actually produce the kit, it has to be a two part mold, and yeah. that means that any any part that isn't aligned with that two-part mold needs to be a separate piece. And then if you're dealing with these tiny figures that have too many pieces, that can be very frustrating. Like for those of us, we love, um, we love Corvus Belly and Infinity. They make beautiful miniatures. Sometimes the parts are too small. Yeah. Um, I've heard that same criticism of, uh, like Marvel Crisis Protocol, where you know, like things yeah, yeah. can be separate. And Games Workshop, of course, has had a long story. Malifau. History. 
of funny funny things like uh you know a separate cigar that you have to glue onto the guy's face or whatever so i'm always trying to make sure part of my like uh loose and stylized um sculpting style i also am trying to make sure that you aren't stuck with anything too weird or out of place or or having to glue things in so as i've developed my production skills i'm trying to produce things in fewer and fewer parts yeah Um, uh, so so that's a big part of it uh making sure that things can be cast uh backfilling making sure the designs come out right making sure some mold lines don't go right across someone's face. You know, I've made <laughs> yeah. those mistakes. And and I remember early on feeling like, oh, I've produced, you know, a dozen miniatures. Now I know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. But man, it's amazing. Every time, every time I create a new model, there's always something that I'm like, well, that's a lesson learned. Moving on, I'm going to make sure I do this differently or make sure those volumes are, are proper. So it's it's very involved on the technical side, mm. um, but it's also something I enjoy a lot. So I'm not, yeah, I love to do it. And it's also very interesting, the question related to produ- producing for a physical kit mm. versus a digital kit. Yeah. Because in a lot of ways, producing a digital kit is worlds easier because you never have to worry about the machining uh, yeah. or mold. I can imagine. You just have to worry about making sure people will like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? And so... Like and how then, they print it is their problem. Yeah. And then, of course, my my earliest background in 3D has always been oriented towards making miniatures. And so I'm always thinking about like how well will... How easy will this be to paint? How pleasant will it be to paint? Will a wash work very well on this detail? Like because you want to hear a detail it. that you can just add add like a wash or a glaze and bring out the detail of the figure. Yeah. Whereas sometimes you can get a digital model that I think it's it's clear that the person who made it comes from more of a video game background mm. where where you got you know you can do a realistic thinness to a sword. And yeah, then yeah. when it 3D prints, it's like paper thin. And yeah. I, that's to scale, and it looks realistic in the 3D render, but it's not so great for painting and not so great for durability. But do so, you, do yeah, you, there's a lot that goes into it. It's, do you troubleshoot yourself, like 3D print them before, or do the, the factory send to yeah. you? Or? When I first started, 3D printers were uh, a lot less ex- accessible. Mm. And so I would hire... Uh, someone to 3d print a low resolution like a cheaper prototype for me mm. so i could check the scale the scale is really important to me you know i don't want i want my i want my worlds to be um cohesive and yeah. then which which sludge put me in an interesting spot because i i didn't choose my scale as much as thinking about like what is what will blend in with the largest world of miniatures out there okay um, so that's why it's more of a like a historical 228 compared to the like warhammer fantasy or even age of sigmar scales yeah and then um then 
I check the scale, I check the details, you know, I try and I notice whether things are working or not working. And, and then I would order a high resolution 3D print to be um, like on an industrial printer to like really get a super, super crisp yeah. prototype and then send that to a mold maker. These days I have a decent uh, 4K frozen mini 4K yeah, yeah, I got, I've got the same here, and yep. I'm able to, I'm able to get um, prototypes made pretty quick and nice enough to paint. Like it used to be that uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ever want to paint <laughs> a 3D print, or, or I wouldn't. No. The quality was such that it wasn't worth my time to paint it. No, but now the technology is catching up. Where like I have, I can print miniatures now, um, and then, and then get the prototypes made on like a, a nicer machine or with like really, really carefully made settings to get like the best detail out of it. Uh, so your, I don't, um, I don't print my own like production prototypes, what, what's your but take I print on, on the production type compared to your own printed. Like, do you notice a huge difference or? Yeah. Yeah, I do, but I'm also the person who sculpted it. So <laughs> if, yeah. You know, if I saw a miniature from a friend like Alex Huntley and I print one of his models, I will just be delighted by what I get. Mm. Whereas he might look at it and be like, oh, man, you know, oh, I added that detail there and it's not crisp enough or yeah. I added that. So so for me, I know what the standard or the goal is. But for a consumer, like I'm happy as can be to print other people's stuff. But when I print my own, I'm usually a little bit disappointed. Like, ah, oh, man, yeah, if only I it was crisper. It. But then, you know, I can get the high, really high resolution prints. And then once the mold is made, the master mold is made, you lose a little bit of detail. And then the production is made and you lose a little bit of detail. And then the production casts come out. And, uh, and then what you end up getting is closer to what you know um i'll always be a little disappointed <laughs> with with uh production casts but that's just because i know what it i meant yeah, yeah. but I get uh, that. then i separate myself by a month or two from since i sculpted it and i'll be like oh yes it's wonderful i love everything about it <laughs> it's very funny as an artist you're always like driving but that last that last, I don't know, two, three, four percent of detail um, is only in the eye of the artist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we we have the hardest question for you at the end here. Oh shoot! Okay. Uh, it's what 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 is the easiest thing about running a tabletop gaming company? And the what, easiest thing? Yeah, and the hardest. All right, I'd say the easiest thing or the most fun thing is that I get to uh, pursue whatever things I imagine and create whatever I want because I, uh, and it's stuff that I really, really like. So whatever I'm excited about, whether it's binging on this like dark fantasy black powder setting or a brighter, more adventurous uh, fantasy setting or even side projects like I just uh, released a kit that was inspired by Merkborg RPG 
Yeah. Um, so I get to just be an artist and be creative and free. And then I'd say the hardest part is the other side of that coin that like, I'll want to be making art, but it's also a job. So I have to try to, uh, you know, do marketing or manage my inventory or um, ship orders. Like my last Kickstarter did really well, which mm. was amazing and wonderful. And I was able to get enough funds to, to do a lot of creative projects, but I ended up, it took me almost six months of, of just sitting in my garage packing to ship all of the orders. Yeah, you know? price of success. So, like, yeah, yeah. You know, my best effort, I can only keep up so much because I, it's not only the 1,000 pre-orders that I had to, to do, it was also each miniature needed to be sorted into baggies and checked for quality control and, you know, packed and, but each card needed to be sorted and each package needed to, each box needed to be folded. And so Not all of the, the stuff leading up before I even shipped the first order of the Kickstarter, it was, you know, countless steps of writing the book, designing the book, getting previews of the book, printing the book, getting the book, folding it, getting it into the boxes with the cards, with the tokens, with the figures, with the bases. You do it uh, all yourself. I do it all. It's it's really uh, yeah. It, it's not possible to hire anyone to help with something. It or? it is possible, but I it it was right during COVID. Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't even invite friends over to help. No, um, I get it. <laughs> so that was that was tough. Now, uh, you know, I have one of my friends' daughters. I hired her to. She's like. Uh, 15 i hired her to do a sort cards so i don't have to sort the cards anymore she knows the she knows all of the factions and the cards and she can go through it and do it all and so that's been really awesome because that freed me from a big yeah uh, task i was you know, afraid I, that you were going to say customer support oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah customer support i i mean I do it because I want to share it with people. So customer service is not a burden for me. I love to interact with people. I, sometimes I am too slow on emails. I'm sure you've tried to get a hold of me and noticed that I'm a little bit hard to get a hold of sometimes. But um, but no, I love it. I love to uh, interact with my audience. And, I know. Sometimes... And I'm so grateful when people support my art and buy my games, buy Relic Blade or buy Sledge. It's really a big deal. I mean, I might I might think I'm not really competing with Games Workshop, but technically I am because <laughs> you could buy the latest hottest Eldar or you could buy some weird indie uh, dwarf wizard produced by a guy in his garage out here in California, you know. I yeah, yeah. so it's a tough choice and and Games Workshop is sending you emails and releasing videos about all their new releases. And I'm the best I can do is post on Instagram every couple of days or every couple of weeks that I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a big deal. And then, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Games Workshop is competing with uh, every big video game company and, and every, every dollar that people hobbyists have to put towards gaming, they also can put towards beer and put towards movies yeah, and yeah, put yeah. towards. So, uh, yeah, when people choose 
to support my art. I really regard them as part of the community that makes these games possible. So it's really exciting for me to interact and be part of. Yeah, if you, if you want to be a part of the community in, in Sludge and check it out, like you, there is the Metal King Discord and there is the yeah. Sludge uh, Facebook group, which has been like really active. I I was shocked to see how how many different people make different armies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and there's also the Relic Blade uh, Facebook group too. So and that's also a really cool community. I think people respond to the fact that like I. I'm obviously doing it because I love it. And I obviously am really excited. I'm really stoked that people are into it. So it ends up being a very fun, supportive community uh, mm. where we, you know, so it's, it's a cool way to interact with the hobby and, and also with um, the blaster project. I'm also able to get interconnected with the other smaller games and groups and, and trying to build like a real network of, indie game designers and and because i think it's a portion of the hobby that when your eyes are open to it the whole miniature hobby really comes alive um because games workshop is amazing uh i love their figures i love what they're doing their worlds are very cool uh and they also produce enough that you could get a new release every week. Yeah. And your whole hobby could easily be just Warhammer 40,000. Yeah. Um, but there's so much out there that once you're opened to it, it's very, very fun to dig into all these like different types of game experiences that exist. And, you know, Getting a big group together and playing Gaslands is a very different experience than setting up your Space Marines again. Yeah, yeah I agree. We, we talked about it in an earlier episode, like in the Matrix, like taking the pill and <laughs> seeing mm. every other game. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh. For me, it really was, it really was a War Machine, where I thought, I think early on, you know, I, I had always played Games Workshop games. There's always hard enough to find other people that were into the hobby. Mm. So the idea of starting a new game, the barrier for me was like, well, you know, how do I convince my friends to play something new? Mm. Um, <laughs> but then it was War Machine where I was like, oh, I can easily convince my friends to try this with me because it's so fun mm. and the models are so cool. And then once I had my eyes open to War Machine, then I realized like there's a whole world out there. So it's funny, but yeah, yeah people, I'm really looking forward. Uh, no, no criticism. People should have their hobby be their hobby. They should be doing what they love. But um, I just, I would love for people to check out my work or my colleagues at Blaster. Check out if there's if you want to play giant robots or zombies or uh, you know, all of Cthulhu style Frostgrave. Like we've got a bunch of great stuff in there. Yeah. And Gaslands, Mad Max, Necromunda, Ash Waste. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, there's so much. Awesome. So. Yeah, really looking forward to the new blaster and uh, hope it's it's mind blowing. There's stuff in there that I just like Yeah. I I, I opened up the final draft on my iPad and we all just 
were blown away because all of us produced things that are just would be worth the cost of entry on their own. <laughs> it's honestly, it's too good for its <laughs> too, own good. You 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 will uh, make uh, your own like smaller magazines instead. It's, it's yeah, too well, good. yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's so cool it's amazing uh, this volume it really is a home run yeah or uh, what what's a good what's a good swedish uh term for the ultimate then ultimata oh thank you all right <laughs> ultimata versionen of uh laster yeah that's what's coming yeah Great. Uh, well, I will put a link to everything I need to put a link to <laughs> in, the, yeah, great. in the description. And um, uh, really, really great talking with you and hearing about the future. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hopefully, hopefully the English format isn't too difficult for people to uh, manage. I don't like ruin your analytics. Yeah, people uh, people in Sweden usually knows English, and yeah, hopefully will reach reach further than Sweden. Mm, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Is is really fun to get a chance to hang out and talk hobby stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, as I said, it's been like talking with uh, Tolkien. Uh, <laughs> I'm honored. Uh, uh, but uh, see you next time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We'll keep in touch. Awesome. Uh, that's it for 106. Bye.